Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know what you think about life after death. It's a question that I think many of us are even reluctant to kind of delve into and ask of ourselves, especially in our society today. And there are many reasons for that. I mean, one thing alone is just death is, death is complicated. <laughs> It's a, it's a mental exercise to start to think about even the, the, uh, the practical realities of death. How many of you, for example, have taken the time to make out a will? Okay, good. I see a couple. That's great. How many of you have actually met with a, with a funeral director and, and had them go down that nice little itemized list of what it's going to cost you to die. Do you know most funerals today uh, cost about $6,000 on average, and you start to add other things in, and, um, and it can quite easily get up to $10,000. Most of us don't want to kind of go through all that stuff in our head, do we? I know I have a better place for my $10,000. But it's not just that it's kind of intellectually challenging or, or, or mentally tough to think about all those practical details of dying. It's also a little bit emotionally tough because we tend to associate death with people that we love who have, who have already passed on. And when we start to think about death, we, we quite naturally get these associations. For example, I'll, I'll share with you that um, when I was growing up, I lived uh, with my mom in a home on northern. It's right on northern. So I, I don't even have to go back into a neighborhood to see the house that I grew up in with my mom. And on occasion, I, I have to go past that house when I'm, when I'm out and about doing business. It is still tough for me to drive past that house because I miss my mom. She's a single mom. She raised us all on her own on a salary from thrifty drugstore. What an amazing woman. And I, and I miss her. And just driving past her house creates all these pretty deep emotions. So death is, is tough to think about. But yet, it's very, very clear that 100% of us will one day die. And therefore, it's not something that we can entirely avoid either, is it? We'd like to. We'd like to not have to struggle with it. But sometimes God kind of just pushes it right in front of your face. You ever been through one of those near misses in your car? I, I remember even... As a youth, when I was riding my bicycle and, and a lady came out and she wasn't really watching very carefully where she going, she plowed into my back tire. I didn't even want to tell my mom what had, what had happened. But that definitely, even at a very young age, I was just maybe about 11 or 12 when that happened, got me thinking, what would have happened if I had died? So we need to think about this. And uh, the story this morning from John chapter 11, the, the account of Jesus meeting these two sisters named Mary and Martha really leads us right to the heart of this question. Is there life after death? So open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. And let's see if, if Gandalf was correct. 
is this really not the end of it, as, as he says to the hobbit? Is there really a path that leads to something beyond? And, uh, and Jesus will answer that question for us. Here's the, here's the setup. Here's what's happened. Jesus has a dear friend named Lazarus. Lazarus becomes very, very ill. And Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, are also dear friends of Jesus. They know that Jesus could do something about Lazarus' illness. And and they're worried because he's critically sick. So they send a messenger to Jesus. And they ask Jesus to come quickly. And uh, to hopefully... Their hope is that he will heal their brother. Well, in the meanwhile, in fact, what we learn from the timeline is almost immediately after that messenger leaves the house, Lazarus, in fact, dies from his illness. And now Jesus is coming. It's been several days. And uh, this is the account, John chapter 11, verse 17. If, uh, if you'd like, also pull out your crosswalk notes. You'll find those in your bulletin. And, uh, and that has the, um, the verses in it as well. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. You know, one of the biggest reasons I think we struggle with this question, is there life after death, is simply the modern culture that we live in. I don't know if you realize this. Uh, Many of you grew up, I think, as Christ followers. For those of you who did not, maybe this will be fresher in your mind. But our world today is a materialistic world. We are constantly being fed in the news, in our schools. Many of us at our mother's need the gospel of materialism. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean the kind of materialism that you'd normally think of around Christmas time where you're going out and trying to buy a lot of stuff to make you happy. There's that kind of materialism. I'm talking about a materialistic philosophy of life, which simply says this. If I can't taste it, touch it, see it, if I can't sense it with my senses, if I can't in some way tangibly experiment and reproduce the effect, it doesn't exist. If it's not material, it's not real. And and literally that philosophy of life is all around us. In fact, I would say that it is the default setting that most people in our modern American culture are raised on. 
And, and, and so here's the problem that we, that we have with that. When, when that begins to become the predominant message of our culture, God changes in people's minds. Now, God himself doesn't really change. That's not what I mean. What I mean is people's perspective of God begins to change. And they begin to make God the God of the chinks, the God of the gaps. And whatever can be explained through materialism, that comes first. And then whatever is kind of unexplainable or mysterious, then that's left for God. And you you end up kind of dividing mentally, even emotionally, these, these two worlds. There's the real world, which is the world of our senses. And then there's this sort of spiritual world that's separate and fills in the gaps between the bricks. But the Bible indicates that's not the way it is at all. The Bible tells us that the spiritual and the physical are all intertwined and all mixed together like a big bowl of spaghetti. And you can't, there's no way to be able to pull those two realities apart. They're all part of each other. The same God who created our physical world is the same God who created and is in control of the spiritual world that is all around us. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is When it comes to, is there life after death? That really is the ultimate anti-materialist question, isn't it? Because how are we ever going to taste or touch or see or hear death? I I know some of you will say, well, there there are some people that have died and then come back to life. Maybe we can listen to them. But even there, the materialists will say, no, you can't believe that that proves anything, right? Because maybe that's just their brain shutting down. Maybe that's just what happens. You get these last-second dreams, and then when you're revived, you remember those last-second dreams. The question of is there life after death is a question that can only be answered by the one who comes from heaven, by the one who dwells in heaven. The answer of, is there life after death, is the one thing that we have to take and go, there is only really a spiritual explanation for it, coming from the ultimate spirit, God himself. And so that's why it's so important for us to hear from Jesus on this question and to hear what he says about it. Here at this Christmas season, isn't that exactly what we're celebrating? That God himself comes down from where? From where? From heaven. To occupy our world. He humbles himself, true God, and becomes a true man. So that he can can bring to us the message of God's promise, God's love, and the eternity that God has in store for us. No materialist philosophy is ever going to be able to to explain that to us. And so we're reliant on Jesus. Now, here's, here's the thing. And this is why this question is so important. Many things we understand only by looking at their opposite. We understand light better when we know darkness. 
And if we can't deal with the question of death, how are we ever going to fully understand life? And so it's very important, critically important, that we force ourselves if necessary or allow ourselves to be pulled into a discussion of what happens after I die. And it's, it's, a, it's really easy to see what Jesus says about this in this story of a man who was one of his closest friends who dies. And then two other closest friends, Mary and Martha, are involved because they are his sisters. And to see what Jesus has to say about these people who are being immediately affected by the specter of death and what his explanation of this all is. And you know what? What's really, really obvious is that Jesus wants us to understand life. I put these down in your crosswalk notes, some blanks for these, but I want to talk about very briefly three kinds of life. Life is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. And that means physical life. Think about it. The Bible teaches that God gave us our eyes, our ears, our ability to think, all, all our other uh, physical abilities that we have, those are gifts of the Creator. We just said the Apostles' Creed after the baptism. Do you remember what we said about that? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker, the Creator of heaven and earth, meaning you and me and all these beautiful stars that shine at night. Did you see that moon last night? We have these windows that face to the south, and uh, man... It's amazing. They said that last month the moon was closer than it had ever been for like 30 years and won't be that close again. If you had a chance to look at that beautiful moon or to wake up on a day like today and enjoy the sunshine, wow. It's amazing what God has created in this physical world and for us to have physical life. But God doesn't stop there. God says, I also want you to have spiritual life. And we don't have that by birth. As we just said at the baptism, what we are experiencing spiritually by birth is, is spiritual death. The inherited sins that have been passed down from generation to generation leave us literally born spiritually dead in a horrible situation. And that spiritual death means we're by nature in rebellion against God. But God took it upon himself to solve that problem by, by sending Jesus, first of all, and then by daily, richly providing his Holy Spirit to us through the word of God and through sacraments like baptism. God wants you to have spiritual life. He wants you to know Jesus Christ. He wants you to know him as true God, as your Savior, as the Chosen One, the Messiah. And in knowing him, in receiving him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual life too. But then there's the ultimate, the third form of life that God really wants you to have. And that is the answer to the question, what happens after I die? God says there is a place called heaven, an eternal life that is kept in store for everyone who believes 
who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And he wants you to have that too. And in fact, Jesus tells Mary and Martha something very interesting about this. Take a look at verse 21. And, uh, and Martha is saying what would be in any of our hearts if you trust that Jesus is God. She says to him, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, there's amazing faith. God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha knows. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on on the last day. Now, Jesus says some amazing words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Aren't those amazing words? And he backs them up. Almost as if he understands that Mary and Martha and all those gathered there need to have that physical evidence, that proof that what he's saying is is really true. So you know what he does? After he says these words, Mary comes out and also greets him. And then he says, okay, where's your brother? And they say, Jesus, it's, um, it's too late. He's been dead for four days. Now, What we know from some ancient Jewish writings, this isn't necessarily biblical, but many ancient Jews actually believed that a person's spirit sort of hovered near the body for three days after a person died. And then, according to these ancient customs, the Jews believed that by the fourth day, the spirit of the person was irrevocably gone. Okay? So so Mary and Martha say, Jesus... His body is already decaying. He, his body stinks. And maybe, we don't know, because it doesn't say this in the, in the scripture record, but maybe even in their minds is this Jewish custom, this thought that, hey, look, if you'd have come one day ago or two days ago, maybe. But his spirit is gone. Jesus says, take me, take me there. And they do. And the Bible tells us they, they roll the stone away from the grave. You know, in those times, graves were usually vertically cut, I mean, horizontal, horizontally cut holes into the side of a hill, a little cave. And, um, and he says, Lazarus, come out. Despite the decay, despite the smell, Despite the customary belief that the spirit was long gone, Lazarus got up from that little bench that his body was resting on and he walked out of his grave alive. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he shows it not only by his words, but by his actions. And that's our very first point that I want to make today. This, by the way, is a critical teaching. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. I put it in your, in your um, crosswalk notes. 
Paul the Apostle teaches how important it is for us to believe in the resurrection, that there is life after death. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You don't even have forgiveness if we don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That's how important it is to believe in Jesus being the resurrection and the life. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. Will you circle that word pitied? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. It's all fakery, Paul says, if we don't believe that there is a life after this life. So here's our first point. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He is not only the promise of eternal life, he's the very embodiment of eternal life. So what's that going to be like? I know, we already said it, right? Nobody's been there and come back to tell us. But what, what's heaven going to be like? You ever curious about that? What? And I know a lot of people think, wow. Is it going to be like, I got the hymn book and start at hymn one and go all the way back to hymn 432 and when we're done, we start over again? Or even if we have a, a wonderful band like this, are we just going to be like sitting in church all the time? Because I, I know it says that we're going to be worshiping God all the time. What's heaven going to be like? Well, you know, actually, the Bible has some pretty interesting answers to that question. I put a little section in your crosswalk notes called, Did You Know? You might want to write some of these points down. I'm going to show you some Bible passages that teach us about what life in heaven will be like. First of all, did you know that you're going to have a glorified body? You will not lose your physical body when you go to heaven. I'll show you in a moment a passage that literally says that. Now, it will be a glorified body, which means it will somehow be different. In fact, it may be very different, but it will still be the same matter that you are now. I know some of you are saying to yourself, even if I was drowned in the Zambezi River and the Crocs ate me, it's still going to be my same body, right? But the Bible says, and you'll see it, with my own eyes, I will see him. Right? Now, glorified body means it might be as different as the body of a butterfly is from the body of a caterpillar. Same matter, right? But when that caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it emerges far different with amazing abilities. You can't hardly imagine a caterpillar in flight. And yet, when it emerges as a butterfly, and we all love to watch butterflies fly, don't we? So you're going to have a body. Let's take a look at a couple passages. Scott will put them up for us. First of all, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, this one, is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Won't be able to die. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. We're going to have powerful bodies. I don't know if I'm going to have to work out in heaven. I wonder about that. It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And Scott showed the next one from Job as well. Notice what Job says. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart 
yearns within me for that day. That's point number one. Point number two is we'll have a new heart, one that is constantly experiencing the joy of God's presence and blessings all the time. You know, I think that's much better than the new body that I'm going to get, to be honest with you. I love the fact that I get a new body in heaven. I need that. But I love, absolutely love the fact that I get a new heart in heaven. Not because I, have, uh, I need to go see the cardiologist. I'm talking about a new spiritual heart. Just this last week, for example, I'll share an example with you from my life. I've spent an amazing number of hours trying to get my truck fixed, right? So last Friday, a week ago, I spent a very frustrating day at the garage. And um, they're telling me, you know, what it's going to take to fix it. And they, they have a shuttle service that is supposed to be pick you up. And, and, and it gets delayed. And literally, I drop the car off there in the morning. And I don't get back there till about 7 o'clock at night to pick up my truck. And then you can imagine with that much work, uh, the cost of getting my truck working, right? So I think, well, okay, but at least it's fixed now, right? So that's Friday. Monday, I walk out to the garage and I look down at my tires. There's one going flat. So I've got, I've got a schedule that I need to be at on Monday, but I know that I can't just let that go. So I call into the office and say, hey, Melody, rearrange my schedule. I got to take the truck in to get the tires fixed. So I take it in. There goes half my morning. Then about Thursday, I uh, go to turn right and signal indicator, and it does one of these. You know what that means, right? Light bulb's out. So I stop, and I buy a light bulb. I put it in. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't change a thing. It's still making that neat little rapidly clicking noise and so I take it back to the dealership on Friday. I think there's an electrical problem with this. Well, come to find out, it really was only that the person at the, uh, the, the, uh, the particular uh, auto store that I bought the light bulb gave me a slightly wrong size on that light bulb. So they bring out the right ones and they say, we'll put them in for you and then come and present me with an amazing large bill for an amazingly few minutes of changing some light bulbs. So once again, I say to myself, look, you know, calm down. It's all going to be good, right? You've been there, haven't you? And then yesterday, my truck is parked at a Christmas tree lot. And home it comes with a dent in it. Um, someone had accidentally backed into the tailgate of my truck while the Christmas tree was being loaded into it. So do you know what my heart was experiencing right about then? Do you know what my mouth was doing right about then? You can ask Julie later on if you want to. Okay? And, you know wanting to just crush something, right? I need a new heart. Now, really, in the grand scheme of things, a few repairs to your truck, many of you are going through much more difficult things than that. 
much more difficult things than that. That's just one little tiny example of what goes on in our lives and how our hearts just twist and turn. Won't it be awesome in heaven to have a new heart? Listen to what the Bible says about that new heart. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. That's going to be awesome, by the way. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now here's the new heart. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. I'm thinking that maybe the car bills in heaven are going to be a little lower. He'll wipe, wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In brief, you'll have a new heart. Okay, here's the third thing about life in heaven. We're going to have a great life. And I, I don't believe for a moment that it's a life that lacks adventure and challenge and fun. Sometimes the picture that we get in our minds about heaven is, is one that's, boy, you know, I'm not sure I want to go there. That's going to be dull and boring. Really, in eternity? But honestly, I think in heaven, it's going to be one adventure after another. And then our little crosswalk motto, live the adventure, that's going to be the motto in heaven. Because it is going to be an amazing place. Now, I can't say it any better than Isaiah does. And he says it poetically. So understand that there's some images in here that you might kind of scratch your head about. I'll point out one. But what a beautiful picture. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Remember, Isaiah's writing to people who were, who were Jews. And so he, he puts it in terms that they can, they can grasp. A new Jerusalem. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. And and here again, this is poetry, so it it sounds a little bit like people are going to die in heaven. He's just simply saying, no, in eternity, there's not going to be that. He who dies at 100 will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. In fact, there's not going to be death at all. They will build houses and, and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. See, he's putting this in terms that you can understand, that you can relate to, very concrete. As the days of a tree. Think about those redwoods in California. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. And this is my favorite part. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Can you just picture in your mind, here's the wolf and there's the lamb, and they're just peacefully lying next to each other, right? 
in heaven, we're not going to need the dog whisperer on the National Geographic channel. They're just going to naturally do it, okay? So it's going to be a great life. And fourth, anything you experience, everything you experience in the here and now is not even worth comparing to the experience of life that you're going to have after you die. One last passage. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I think that even includes my truck problems. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So that leaves the next question. How do you get a piece of real estate in that place, right? Is there like a realtor for that? And I think most of us would say, if that's the way heaven is going to be, man, that must have a pretty steep price. I'm going to have to do some pretty wonderful, big-time, important work to be rewarded to live in eternity in a place like that. And here's the surprising answer. The amazing answer. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to pay a thing. You don't have to make one sacrifice. What Jesus says is, it's a gift. Only belief. You remember what Jesus asks Mary or, or, or Martha after he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that last little question, what does he say? Do you believe this? That's the critical question. Because in asking that question, Jesus is identifying the answer that allows any of us to have that piece of real estate in heaven for eternity. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that when you follow him, when you trust him, that heaven is yours? And even if you die, you will live again. Faith is the way that we receive. Faith in Jesus is the way that we receive this eternal life. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. That's that deal where we were talking about baptism. Originally, we all belong to Adam. And we're in death. Everyone who belongs to Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, will be given new life. All it is is just by faith to belong to Christ. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And then he says through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, he talks very plainly about faith. Be faithful, be, be faith-filled, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Sometimes we teachers are criticized for what's called teaching to the test. You know what that is, right? But some of the best teachers do this. 
they give what's called a pretest, which is really at the beginning of the unit, giving out the test that you're going to give your students at the end of the unit. Any of you ever have a teacher like that who gives you the, the pretest, the test, and says, here's all the questions I'm going to ask you. And here, by the way, are all the answers. And then during the unit, they simply teach you what you're going to need to know for that test. Now, compare that to some of your college professors who, if you had some like me, you walked into that semester test, and semester test time is now, so I'm, I'm, uh, I can relate to all of you college students out there. I had professors that you walked in, and then you walked out, and you went, Oh my goodness, I had no clue about anything he just asked me on that test. And in fact, I think the professor kind of thought it was his business not to reveal during the semester what was going to be on the semester test so that he could give us a big surprise at the end of the semester. Any of you ever have professors like that and how that stunk, right? Jesus wants you to win. Jesus wants you to have the answers. Jesus wants you to experience the victory of eternal life. He wants you to walk out on the resurrection on the last day going, I know the answer. I know the answer. The answer is simple. Jesus is the answer. He is the resurrection. He is the life. All I need to do is trust in him and believe in him. I don't need to do one good work. I don't need to pay one dollar. I don't need to make any sacrifices. This piece of real estate called heaven is mine simply by trusting Jesus and knowing him. Jesus is the answer. And that's really our second point that's so critically important. The reason Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Because there is eternal life, eternal life for all who believe. All right, last point, and I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. Many people want to know, so when does this eternal life start? When, when does it get its beginning? And there's a surprising answer to that question. Because most of us think that eternal life starts when? After I die. But Jesus says something pretty intriguing to Martha here. And in fact, he backs it up several other times in the Gospels. He says, he who believes in me will never die. What does that mean? Well, for that, you have to understand God's perspective on death. Before Jesus comes to Lazarus, the Bible tells us, and you can read it in John 11 for yourself, Martha and Mary send this messenger to Jesus to say, will you come? Our brother is sick and he's critically ill. And Jesus does something quite amazing. You know what it is? Nothing. No, I mean it. He does nothing. He waits two more days before he gets up and goes to find Lazarus, knowing that he's critically ill. Is that the same Jesus that we talk about? The one who cares about people in pain and hurt and, and can heal the ill? Why does he do nothing for two whole days? You know why? He tells us why. He tells his disciples, Lazarus 
is asleep. That's God's perspective on death. You and I see death as something horrible and awful and basically final. God doesn't see death that way. When my, when my wife Julie was a, a, a little girl, her dad used to come into her bedroom when he wanted her to wake up in the morning and he'd wiggle her big toe, right? Her dad was not afraid that he couldn't wake her up. He, he knew he had his own little method of wiggling her, to, her toe to wake her up because he knew that she was just asleep, right? And isn't that exactly what your heavenly father knows about death? It's not final. He can wake you up. He can wiggle your toe. And you will get up. Because your heavenly father has the power to do that. Because of what Jesus has done for you. And in fact, that's what Martha answers to Jesus' question. You know that? when, When Jesus says... Do you believe this? Martha gives this amazing confession of who Jesus Christ is. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. And in answering that, in confessing her faith in that way, she's saying, I know that you are the resurrection and life and that my death is no more than a mere sleep and that I will wake up to enjoy heaven forever because you are the Christ. That means the chosen one, the chosen one of God. You believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the chosen one, the anointed one of God to give you eternal life? And then she goes on to say, the Son of God. Do you believe that? That Jesus is truly God because he's the Son of God. Not just a man, not just someone who came to be a nice guy, a great example. He is God himself come to rescue you from death, even eternal death, and give you life, even eternal life. That's Jesus, Christ, the Son of God. Look at what John 5, 24 records about Jesus' words. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, right here, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. I want you to circle the word has. What tense is that? You already have it. You already have it. I put this blank in your, in your um, crosswalk notes. For the Christ follower, eternal life starts now. You're already in eternal life. Your death is no more than a sleep. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. And again, past tense, he has crossed over. You have crossed over already. From death to life. Eternal life is what you're in now. And then there's one final fruit of that. Being in that new life now, your life is transformed. Take a look at Romans 6.13. You're no longer going to offer the parts of your body to sin. 
You're no longer going to offer them as instruments of wickedness, but rather because you are now alive eternally. Paul says, God says, offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. What a change. That's the new life that you have. So here's our third point. Not only is there life after death for the Christ follower, there is even life before death for those who confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. So with those truths in mind, Pastor Jeff has got to shorten the sermons for the next series. Okay, you can pray for that, actually. Here's your next steps for this week. Put aside your fear of death. Jesus is your life. He's the literal embodiment of the resurrection and the life. He gives you life now, and he has a heavenly life in store for you. Stop fearing death. Death is no more than asleep. Next, prioritize the kind of life you seek. Remember those kinds of life we talked about? Physical life, spiritual life, eternal life. Jesus once said, what if a man gains the whole world yet loses his soul? What are your life priorities? Is it physical life, spiritual life, or eternal life? Prioritize them as God would have you prioritize them. And finally, meditate on and memorize John 11, 25, 26. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to be my resurrection and my life. Lord, I can't wait to experience what life in heaven for eternity is going to be, enjoying you and your, your immediate presence and all the blessings that you have for me there. And I thank you that you put your spirit into my heart, that you've taught me the gospel in, in, in the word to know Jesus as the Son of God and to know Jesus as the Chosen One who died on the cross and who rose himself from the grave to win life for me. Lord Jesus, strengthen the life in me. Put your spirit in my heart and help me to cling to him more and more every day. And then, in clinging to him, to live a transformed life that brings glory to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.